0: All right, let's turn to our, in our Bibles, to Matthew chapter 28. If I had a dollar for every time I quoted or read or took, the people of God to Matthew 28, over my last 40 years of ministry, I'd probably be rich. But Matthew 28 is an important verse for you and I, especially as members of a church. Jesus has went to the cross. He's risen from the dead. He's appeared to his church, and now, just shortly before he ascends into heaven, he reminds the church that he started and all those that's going to come afterward of our purpose. You see, there in verse sixteen, the eleven disciples went away to Galilee to a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. These were the leaders of the New Testament church he founded. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. So he's speaking with authority, and he's going to give a command. Two commands, really, in this passage. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations. The command there in that phrase, it's not the word go, but it's the word teach. Actually, what it means, go is a participle. In going. He never even thought that they wouldn't consider going. But in going... Teach or make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. The second command, it was very interesting, the first command being teach, make disciples, see people saved. And the second command is the word lo. What in the world? Lo, it's like behold. He's commanding them to understand that when we go, that he's going to be with us. Where we go in the world? To the ends of the world, he's going to be with us. And of course, this is known as the Great Commission. But I wonder how seriously we take this task that's set before us, and I wonder if we really consider that there is a need to go into all the world. I want you to listen as I read you some names of countries around the world, and i got a lot of them here, but I'm not going to read them all. Gambia. Mali, Somalia, Bangladesh, Cambodia, North Korea, Laos, Mongolia, Nepal, Sri Lanka, Thailand, Vietnam, Jordan, Kuwait, Lebanon, Libya, Saudi Arabia, a place Called Georgia, and it's not in the southeast of America. Albania, Austria, a European modern country, France, Ireland, Luxembourg. And what do they all have in common? Well, what they have in common is that less than 1% of their population are evangelical Christians that preach that we're saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, not of works. These countries represent millions and millions of people. In these countries, there are are many that have never seen a Bible, let alone... Heard a gospel message preached. People have been born into these nations, lived and died without hearing the name of Jesus Christ spoken. Multitude upon multitude have never had the opportunity to respond to a preacher's invitation to repent of their sins and accept Christ as their Savior. If that's the case, and let me assure you that it is the case. are they really lost? And how can God hold accountable a people who've never heard? Are the heathen lost? That's a serious question and it must be addressed. In fact, if there's some other way that these people who have never heard the gospel to be saved, then we might be better off not sending them the gospel because that would make them accountable. And so there needs to be some clear biblical thinking when we address such a question. What happens to that innocent Somalian who's never heard about the God of the Bible? What do we do with that? Well, let me say, first of all, that the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that every person born into this world is a fallen creature, a sinful creature. And when that qu- that question is given, and people say, are you telling me that God condemns people to hell that's never heard the gospel? It has some assumptions with it that, are wrong assumptions. The first mistake or the first mistaken assumption is that condemnation of a person is based upon his rejection of the gospel. But the scriptures teach that our condemnation is based upon our character, that we're sinners by nature. Another faulty assumption is a confusion with God as as to justice and mercy, as to His love in nature, and as to the fact that His wrath abides upon those who have not believed. How could a God of love send someone to hell who's never heard the gospel? Well, God is merciful. But God also is just and holy. And sin must be judged, and his love comes out in sending his son to take that judgment for us. And so is God fair. Well, let me say first of all that what's really not fair is the fact that any of us could be saved. You see, it would have been within God's wrath, wrath and God's prerogative to send us all to hell. But see, where the very basic problem is, is when I realize that The wages of sin is death. And the judgment of God is upon all those who've never trusted in Jesus Christ. And I want to argue with that. You see, the real problem is this. I don't think I should go to hell. But it doesn't matter what you think. It matters what God's word says. And the more that I'm persuaded that I'm a good person, go downtown. Probably 95% of the people you would ask that you consider yourself a good person is going to reply, well, of course I do. And the more that I consider myself a good person, the more I question the justice and the fairness of God. But I found out personally that the more I sense the noose of God's judgment around my neck, that I become more amazed. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And so let's uh, let's look this morning about what the Bible says about this thing of accountability. As we've already alluded to, every man and every woman, every boy, every girl is a sinner. If you go to Romans chapter 3, we've already quoted the 23rd verse, for all sinning comes short of the glory of God. But in Romans chapter 3, Paul is laying down the mind of God concerning sin and people. And if you look in verse 10 of Romans 3, it says, There's none, as it is written, the Old Testament, There is none righteous, no, not one. That's pretty all-inclusive. There's no degree of first, second, third, fourth degree that, you know, but it says, all have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. That God first seeks man, and then man will seek God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. That's language that I don't like but that's language that is needed to drive me to God because the need of my life can only be met by God. He uses very dramatic language. Their throws an open sepulchre with their tongues, they've used deceit, the poison of the under their lips. He talks about whose mouth is full of cursing. And bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood and destruction and misery, in their way and the way of peace is not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things serve the law, saith it, saith to them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. Okay, what you're wanting to say, what you're wanting to think, we're going to stop that right now, and all the world may become guilty before God. That all the world, all mankind, they're guilty. The, The verdict is in, and the verdict is, you're guilty. And with guilt, there's always a judgment. And so what if you've never heard the gospel? Well, he said, we go to hell because we're guilty. We don't go to hell because we've not heard the gospel. One man sinned in the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for all of sin. Ephesians says, whom also we had our conversation as our lifestyle in the times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and by nature the children of wrath, even as others. If you go back to the book of John, and the third chapter, that great chapter that has God so love the world in it. Verse 16, but John chapter 3 and verse 18 it says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. And so he's, he's not saying, You know, you have a certain amount of sin that must stack up and you get to a certain point and then God says you're condemned. No, you're condemned already. That we're, we're born into this world speaking lies. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And as a result of that, in verse 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Not just in the Son, but that little word on is important because I believe on what he has done, what he did for me. Believe on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him and when I go to prison, I paint a little stick man and I put a block in, uh, over him and I write wrath in it and the wrath of God is abiding upon me and if I don't partake of the grace and mercy of God, then it's going to fall on me. But thankfully, he's given us a time to repent. Timothy tells us, "Who will have all men to be saved And they come to the knowledge of the truth. And so if all men need to be saved, then all men are sinners. And so in Korea, 99% of North Korea are not Christians. 99% of North Korea is lost. In Pakistan, there's 122 million people And the majority have never heard the gospel. And so that then brings us to this question about the condemnation of people who've never heard the gospel. We now would maybe, in thinking that, pose the question, is there possibly another way they could be saved? Maybe there's another way. If they've never heard the gospel, maybe somehow they could see a vision from God or something would work in their heart to uh, get them to be secure for eternity. Go with me to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, a very familiar verse In verse 6, Thomas is questioning where the Lord is going and how we can follow him to where he's going after he leaves this world. And Jesus said unto him, in verse 6, I am the way, not a way, not one of the ways, but I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no access to God. There's no access to eternity. There's no salvation, but by him. And, and other scriptures add to that and firm that up. When Paul was preaching in, in Acts chapter 4, he says, Neither is there salvation. Salvation for what? Not salvation for myself. Not salvation from a bad situation. But salvation from my sin, because the wrath of God is abiding upon me. These are salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The name is Jesus. John 5, And this is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Everlasting, eternal life is in Jesus. He that hath the Son hath life, and he hath not the Son hath not life. Amen. For there's one God And one mediator, Paul said to Timothy, there's only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so how can, then, a just God condemn a people who have never heard? Well, let me say this to you in answering that. And we'll get more into details. The lost man is not ignorant of God. Mankind doesn't function in this world ignorant of God. The atheists say, I don't believe there's a God. Until he gets in a foxhole and says, Oh God, please help me. Look over in, first, uh, in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, it's talking about Jesus, and it uses two different terms here to, to uh, give to Jesus, and he's called the Word in these first verses. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 tells us, and the Word was made flesh. But he's also called the light. And it says, In him was life, verse 4, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness, comprehended it not, means not that they didn't understand it, but the darkness of this world does not overcome the light. Just as we flip a light on and the cockroaches scatter and and uh, in the Lord 48 and... and uh, Darkness is driven away. But he says something in verse 9. That was the true light, that is Jesus Christ, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And so, so there's some, how should we word this? There's some spiritual light that every man has given to him. Not the sun but the knowledge of the revelation of God. I kind of wish I had an overhead here, but there's really three lights that the Bible talks about. There's a light of creation. You can look at this world and see that man and and animals just couldn't evolve. The creation, the the, the uh, evolutionist wants to say, well, we have to go down to the simple life forms, and uh, and the creationist says to the evolutionist, well, show us the simple life form. As I shared in my Sunday school class this morning, and in a little handout I gave in prison the other night, but there's this mold that has little lasso loops. On, I don't, you couldn't call it a body, but it's connected to the mold. And when a nematode, a little worm, comes along and he goes through that lasso, the mold, it's mold, it don't even have a brain, it's mold. It shuts down and it squeezes the life out of that worm and then it feeds on it. Evolution's marvelous. Not it didn't evolve, God created it. And the creation screams out to us that there is a God. There's a light of creation that says, there must be a God. And then there's a light of conscience. You talk to people who want to be rationalists. They just say, well, what I believe is what I believe, what you believe, what you believe, and, and everything's okay. And, and, and what they believe could be completely contrary to what you believe or contrary to the Word of God. But there's a light of conscience, of right and wrong. But when you ask those people, okay, I see that you're rationalistic and you have your own beliefs. Let me ask you something. Is what Hitler did to the Jews, was it right or wrong? And most of them, unless they know where you're going, will honestly admit what was wrong. Well, if we just evolved, and we all evolved, what made it wrong? Why wasn't he just as right in his beliefs as anybody else? Because God's in control. God sets the rules. And what Hitler did was evil. And so we have the light of conscience, and we'll look at that. And then there's the saving light. The gospel light. The call comes ringing over the restless waves. Send the light. The gospel light. And what I think you'll find as we go through here is if we will respond to the light of creation... And our hearts want to know, who is this that created this? Who is this being? And when we respond in our hearts, our hearts either excusing us or accusing us that there's a, something within us that knows what I did was wrong. And it's not just because someone said, okay, we're going to live by this standard, but what's wrong? That this is wrong. Well, what causes that? And I want to, I want to experience this, 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 this being. Don't confuse it with a force. But this being. Who gives me a sense of right and wrong within me. That couldn't come out of just being evolved. Morality doesn't evolve, but it's going to cause me. And when we come to that point, I guarantee you this, God's going to get the other light to us, and you're going to have an opportunity to receive it or reject it. But let me show you that from Scripture. First of all, let's talk about the light of creation. Go with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, and verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from the heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That word, hold the truth in unrighteousness, doesn't mean they embrace it like a little girl would embrace her doll baby. But it means... I hold it down! I don't want to see that. I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to let my let my conscience be bothered by that. I don't want to see. I don't want to hear. I don't want these papers that show you that there's some created things that that just couldn't evolve. There's a little there's a little bird that flies up to the up around a barrow and 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 gnome and lands on the beach. Is it called the golden plover? And the golden plover comes from from Hawaii. They fly all the way to Hawaii to the beaches of Nome. They, they, they make their nest, they hatch their eggs, and because it's time to leave, the, the little ones are not mature yet. And so they stick around a little longer and they become mature. And the parents have already gone, they've already migrated, they're going to go to their to some winter home, they're going to go to Hawaii, and they've already migrated there. And when the, when the the little ones have matured enough to fly, they take off and they fly straight to Hawaii. What allowed them to do that? God let them to do that. And so, the things of creation, and he says here in Romans chapter 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Hold it down. In verse 19 of Romans 1. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. That God has showed the world something, some light. For the invisible things of the creation, from the creation, that God creates of the world are clearly seen that we can see God in creation, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. The creation talks about his power and creation talks about there's a God in, in this world. Then note these words so that they are without excuse. They don't pursue that like. They're without excuse. They go to hell because they rejected the light of creation and because they're sinners. But don't stand here and sit here this morning and say, God didn't give them something to think about. He did. And they're without excuse. Look over, look over even in a greater uh, message here, I think, in Psalms chapter 19. In Psalms chapter 19. I better get them moving along here. This, this kind of may be taking too long. But the preacher needs to let me preach more often. Are you listening, brother? <laughs> Psalms 19. One. The heavens declare the glory of God. Man, go outside, look for that North Star. Look at the Big Dipper. Look at the northern lights the dancing in the sky. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where the voice is not heard. There's not a country in the world, a language in the world, a people, tongue in the world that's not seen this as it talks to them. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And them they set a tabernacle for the sun Which is the bridegroom cometh out of his chamber and rejoices as a strong man to run. His going forth is from the end of the earth and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there's nothing hid from the heat thereof. And then, after he talks about the creation and how God has given a testimony throughout all the world, then he says this. And the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. There has to be both. There has to be creation that draws men, but it's God's word that converts the soul. But it draws men. The new born baby as it cries, the snow going and the green grass growing in Alaska tells of God the dancing northern lights the complexity of the one cell amoeba that there has to be an ultimate cause that designed all this and realizing that this world has been made by something greater than ourselves holds us accountable and when he responds to that God will give him more light now go over to chapter 2 that's the light of creation. Let's note the light of conscience. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 14, For when the Gentiles which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are law unto themselves. It says that God give the law to the Jews, the Ten Commandments, and others. But the Gentiles understand that. By nature they understand that which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts of them with accusing, accusing or else excusing one another. That when they do wrong, they know they're wrong, they're accused by their own thoughts. But how do I make that right? There's a desire to be made right. And God draws them. He's drawing them. And let me say to you, when they respond to that creative light, and they respond to their conscience within them, if they'll seek the Lord, they'll find more light. Go with me to Proverbs. Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. And 22. Proverbs one twenty three. How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorners, and the fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I'll pour out my spirit unto you. I'll make known my words unto you. What's he saying? He's saying, if we'll seek the Lord, he'll make his words known unto us, he'll bring someone to give us the gospel message. The seeker will find his questions answered. The Bible promises that God seeks us first, but it promises if we'll seek God, we'll find him. We'll find him. Deuteronomy has these powerful words, but if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek with all thine heart and with all thy soul, the heart and the soul got to be involved that I'm going to seek him with everything I have. It's not dabbling. Well, I'll taste this a little bit and I'll taste that and I'll see how it tastes and I'll try religion for a while. No, that did isn't cut it. Seek the Lord with all your heart. If your conscience is bothering you, it's for a reason. And our sin will be judged. Jeremiah says, you shall seek me and find me When you still search for me with all your heart. When Paul went to Athens, he was preaching to a a group of very, they called it uh, superstitious, a very religious people. And they had a God to every God they could imagine. And he said, the Lord said, Paul said, I want to speak to you about the true God. And he tells them that if they'll seek him, they'll find him. The, that he's available, he can be seen. And then he calls on them, I, well, let's go over there, I I'm, shouldn't jump this. And in Acts chapter 17, I'm sorry, most of my messages are expositorial and we stay right in one place, but I really believe this is important for us today on a number of levels. Acts 17 and verse 24. God made the world. He, he, he said, I'm going to talk to you about the unknown God in verse 23 of Acts 17. And he said, He's the God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither He worship with men's hands, as though He needed anything, seeing He giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of the men to dwell on the earth, the face of the earth, and have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might fill after him and find him, though it be not very far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offsprings. For as much then that we are offspring of God, we ought not to think of the Godhead as like silver or gold, like into gold or silver or stone, at the gra- graven images, not as idols. And the times of this ignorant God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And so when we understand who God is, we understand who we are, we understand our conviction, uh, our, our condemnation, we ought to seek the Lord. So why don't people? Why aren't they flocking to hear the third light they see the created light and they have their conscience, but why don't they flock to hear the gospel? Because the wicked, through the pride of their countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. When I was young and I was being convicted of my sin, going to church with my parents, let me tell you, when the last song was sung, I got out of that place. I didn't want to hear the gospel. It convicted me. I didn't want to stick around. I didn't want God in all my thoughts because it, 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 it interrupted my agenda. They love sin. Why did, <clears throat> John tells us that they love darkness rather than light. Now, what I want you to do, I want you to go over to Acts chapter 10. And I want to show you, I've, I've told you what, what the lights are about. I've told you that there's the creative light, and I've told you that there's the conscious that the light in our lives. And those things ought to bring us to the gospel light. But unless you think that's just theory... I want to show you a personal example in the Bible where that actually took place. Look in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, and so he was from Rome. A devout man. So here's a man that is devout. He's religious. And one that feared God, the God of the Bible. There was a fear of God in this devout man, with all his house, his house, his children, and his wife, which gave much alms to people and prayed to God always. So here's a man. Who's devout? Here's a man who fears God. Here's a man that prays to God. Here's a man that does good things and giving poor people money, alms. He saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying to him, "Cornelius." And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, "What is it, Lord?" And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thy alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. And so here's a man that's religious, devout, a fear of God. One who gave alms and a man who prayed and he prayed to the right God. But he said, go get Peter. And I want you to turn over to um, chapter 11 where it's rehearsed for us exactly what happened when Peter came. In Acts chapter 11 and let's look at verse 1. The apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God, and when Peter was come to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. And so Peter went back to Jerusalem, and the Jerusalem people were saying, why are you messing around with these Gentiles? Why are you messing around with these pigs? Why are you messing around with these heathen?" And Peter is going to tell them, well, because they can get saved, because we're all God's people. And say, say thou wentest into the circumcised and did eat with them. Not only did Peter go there, but he sat down and ate with these, these dirty people. And Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by ordering to them, I was in the city Joppa praying and in a trance, and I saw a vision, a certain vessel descend as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me, upon the which when I fastened my eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creepy things, and fowls of the air, all that are unclean. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. And so God's giving him this example of unclean food to let him know that no person in the world is unclean that they can't be saved. I said, No, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, thou shalt not, that that call not common. And it was done three times, and all were drawn up into heaven. And behold, immediately, there were three men already come into the house where I was sent from Caesarea unto me. And so here these three Gentiles come and say, We want you to come and talk to Cornelius. Well, if Peter hadn't seen these visions, he would have said, is he a Jew? No, he's a Gentile. I'm not going. But God had already given him these things. Don't be saying people are unworthy for the gospel. I decide that. And behold, there were three men, had already come to the house where I was sent from Israel. And the Spirit made me go with Nothing. These six brethren accompanied me and went into the man's house, and he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, "Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose name is Peter." And then I want you to note these words. You should mark them in your Bible. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? The gospel light. He knew God. He prayed to God. He gave alms love for people. But he has to have the gospel light to be saved. The same situation is, is with the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch left Ethiopia and he went up to Jerusalem to worship God. And So he, he, he knew there was a God. He wanted to know more about God. He worshiped that God. And he's coming back. And he's, and he's in his chariot, and he's reading some of the scripture. And the scripture he read was in Isaiah chapter 53, and how he's led as a lamb to the slaughter. And he said, who is this guy? And God, God had... Philip was up in Samaria, and there was a great revival happening in Samaria, and many people were being saved, and God said to Philip, I want you to go down to the desert Gaza. What? <laughs> We're having a great revival here, Lord. No, I said, so I want you to go down to Gaza. Why is that? Because there's a man who saw the, the light through the creation. There's a man who saw the light through the conscience, but he needed the gospel light. And so he goes. And there's this chariot going by. And God said, that's the guy. And he actually ran to catch up with the chariot. And he got in, and he said, what are you reading? I'm reading here where, as the lamb before the slaughter, he was dumb, and he opened not his mouth. And who's this talking about? Is this the prophet that wrote this? Who's this talking about? And he began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, it tells us that Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The Bible reads, for, what, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how shall they call upon him who they have not believed? How shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how should they preach, except they be sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel and bring glad tidings! So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, maybe you're here, and you see creation, you see your conscience. And now let me tell you that Jesus Christ died for your sin. But I want to go a little deeper than that. Cornelius knew about God, but he didn't know about the Savior. And someone had to go. The Ethiopian eunuch had been up to Jerusalem trying to worship God. And come back, and he didn't know God as his Savior. But Philip went there, and he he gave him the gospel light. Now here's what I want you to understand. If God is speaking to your heart about going to witness to someone... Realize this. The gospel light follows creative light and the light of the conscience. But what I want you to see is this. If God is speaking to you about witnesses to someone, rest assured he's been there and he's drawing them. (laughs) People cannot be just by seeing creation in their conscience. People have to hear the gospel. <laughs> and I don't know why God did this. But he made us a vital part of that. We have to take the message. Well, Noah George, our missionary from our church that we support and sent out and he's coming back and he's part of us. When he got up and said, God has called me to go to the Arab-speaking people. Why did God call him? Because there's got to be some Arab-speaking people who are seeking the Lord. And there's something very interesting about that. And and I I, I can't condemn it or approve of it. But I know this, and Noah has spoken to me about this. There's been many many Arab people who have had dreams that have drawn them to the Lord. Not saved, but wanting to know more about God. That God draws people to himself, but only the gospel message can save their souls. That we have to be engaged That's all going to fall apart, the drawing. And let me say this, it's not going to fall apart in that sense. Uh, I mean, if I don't go, if God has burdened me to go to a country or a people group or to one person, if I don't go, God's capable of bringing someone that will go. The, The saving of this world doesn't rest upon me, but it rests upon God. But let me tell you this, he wants us to be a part of it. And we have the privilege of bringing the gospel message to the world. And so the issue, we, we want to say, you know, that, that uh, there's people in this world who've never heard the gospel, and we want to talk about people that need the gospel. And sometimes we want to believe that maybe they could be saved another way. But you see, the Lord said in our text, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth, go ye therefore. It's our job to preach the gospel to the world. And so today is not only about your accountability because of creation, and your accountability because of your conscience. But it's also about getting the gospel message that saves the souls of men out. And so I'm I'm a vital role in this. You're a vital role in this. And I'm not just talking about being called to be a missionary to a country, but I'm talking about being called to go next door and talk to your neighbor. The songwriter said "There's a call comes ringing over the restless wave. Send the light. Send the light. There are souls to rescue, there are souls to save. Send the light, send the light. Send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine forevermore. It's never left my mind, the story that I was told by a missionary who went to the Navajo Reservation. And there was a very old Navajo woman who got saved up in her 70s, 80s. I don't know, old, old lady. Gloriously saved. <coughs> because the gospel light had come to her and she received it and believed it and repented and trusted But after she realized what she had and how much it was a joy to be saved and to know the Lord, she looked the missionary in the eyes and she asked him, she said, I'm an old lady. I love my Lord. I'm thrilled about being born again. But why didn't you come 50 years ago? May we, as we close this morning who are saved, at least say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Lord, here am I. Give me the graces needed to witness for you. We're not doing it in our own strength, but we gotta do it. And if you're here today and you've been challenged with accountability, how that God has given you much light and the need to respond to that light and repent of your sins and trust in Christ as your Savior, know that, as I preached the other day, that God's eternal, and we only have a little bit of what we call time to respond to His message. Tomorrow's not guaranteed, but today is the day of salvation and now's the time to do business with God. May you not leave this place having your eternal security assured and knowing Christ as your Savior. We'll sing a song here pretty quick. If you need to come forward and talk to me, that's fine. If you need to say, I'm coming today, I've made a decision for Christ, walking up here is not going to change anything. Your heart and you dealing goodness with God, but I'm asking you, as the Spirit of God deals with you, to be honest and open before Him, and know that He's dealing with us to be witnesses, because someone is seeking more light. Someone needs the gospel, and no soul will ever be saved. And may it be in our heart to bow our heads as I've said and say, Lord, help me. Lord, I've not been what I need to be. Lord, I just go around doing my own business and making a living. But Lord, I realize that I'm saved for more than just fire insurance from hell. I'm saved to serve you. And may God revive us. May God give us the grace that's needed to be the witnesses that we need to be of him. Would you do that for me? And would you do that for the Lord and not just for me? And if you're lost here today, trust him. Trust him as your Savior. Let's pray.